Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Uh, today's beginning a new initiative uh, within the Leadership Network, and we think it's an idea whose time has come. If you're not familiar with Leadership Network, we exist to convene catalytic conversations that foster spirit-led movements of innovation. And we're hoping that those movements will dramatically impact uh, the world for the cause of Christ. We're dreaming that every child of God can reach their maximum kingdom influence and impact. And at the core, the Leadership Network wants to play a prophetic role in the body of Christ to help us tune into what the Spirit of God is doing next across the body of Christ. Uh, this cyberpunk author named Bill Gibson said this, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So what we want to do is pay attention to where the kingdom future is breaking through to perceive that, pursue what's next. And the Leadership Network team has identified six themes uh, that we're going to explore this year. And one of those is that of microchurches. There's movements of microchurches that are emerging in the West. And this time in space, Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be having this conversation weekly, and you're invited. Almost every Tuesday this year, we're going to be here. It's going to be a space for innovators and early adopters in microchurch movements to come together we're going to seek Jesus' presence and his leadership. We're going to be reminded that you're not alone. You're not crazy. Uh, we're going to learn from leading practitioners, and there's going to be uh, fun to be had. There will be plenty of shenanigans. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously, but we're going to take Jesus' call in our life very seriously. Uh, today is going to be a blast. I'm here with uh, one of my best friends, um, Brian Johnson. We're both uh, one of the directors in the Kansas City Underground. Brian, what's up? Hey, hey, I'm here. Brian is in the carefully branded Kansas City Underground recording studio. Uh, I feel like studio is generous. <laughs> <laughs> Brian we and I are working on some music that we're going to premiere during the Super Bowl halftime show um, with Eminem. And we've been locked in there <laughs> all week. No one's going to trust us. No one's going to trust us. So, Brian, why don't you tell them about um, the theme for this year? What do we what's our big macro theme for microchurches next? Yeah. So the theme that we're going to explore this year is the return of the microchurch. Uh, and we're, we're using that word, you know, kind of tongue in cheek a little bit over the last two decades. There's been a lot of pioneering efforts in the missional movement. And we've seen mixed results in that experimentation, but that's the beauty of it. It's experimentation. So we get to try things, uh, but we've seen mature forms of microchurch movements that are emerging today. We're going to get to celebrate one of those, uh, one that we stand on the shoulders of. And, uh, you know, COVID has also been a part of this conversation. It's pretty much a part of every conversation now, but COVID has demonstrated the fragility of the predominant forms of the church. 
And it's created this surging interest in simpler forms of the church and ones that are led by ordinary people. And, and we believe, again, we use this word return, but we don't think that the microchurch is a new form of church, but really one of the most ancient ones. And you could even make a compelling case that the microchurch is the original design uh, that we see in the pages of the New Testament. And it's also the primary expression of the church in most of the disciple-making movements that we're seeing globally, like India, oh. China all over the global South. And now is the time for us to return to this conversation in the West for biblical reasons, for cultural reasons, for missiological reasons. And so in this first series of webinars that we're going to do this year, that we're going to host, we want to focus on definitions and language. We want to focus on those things that have really shaped this conversation so that we can all sort of be in a similar place of this is what we mean when we use this word microchurch. And so in these first eight episodes, uh, like I mentioned, Wait, wait, I have to drop my ongoing <laughs> dad joke. It, you mean it's not tiny, tiny churches with tiny... I was waiting on it. Tiny churches with tiny steeples. Those, that's, that's, not not churches? that's not what we mean, no. Oh, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Man. <laughs> so in these first eight episodes, you'll hear from network leaders on what a microchurch is. And when we say that we're returning to that and gaining clarity, we're also going to explore a diversity, even in that language. Like, what does that look like across the board? Uh, so we'll look at some of the things that unite us and some of the things that we've seen some diversity and unique expressions in, because we really want to celebrate just that full diversity and full uniqueness of all of these networks. So, Rob, I'll let you take just the, uh, the specific topic for today. Yeah, today we're talking about this question. What is a microchurch? Uh, so we've all probably experienced uh, some kind of group life in the church and uh, small groups have been a massive phenomenon in the church for probably four or five decades. And a lot of people wonder, well, so are you saying like three people who do Bible study? Is it like with a latte? Is it, is that church? What are you guys talking about? You know, like, or two guys that serve sandwiches to the homeless and they, you know, uh, share the four spiritual laws. I mean, is that, is that what you're saying? Is a church? What exactly is a church? And again, um, what is the absolute irreducible minimum? That's what we're trying to get at. When a, when a group of people actually becomes a holistic expression of the church. And uh, today we get to have that conversation with Lucas Pooley. So Brian, who is this guy? Why is he, why is this? First of all, you can't see him because he's all in black. So apparently he likes Johnny Cash, which is good. Yeah. I love Johnny Cash. I named my son after Johnny Cash. So We're big fans of Johnny Cash right here. So way to go, man in black. Yeah. So the man in black is about to appear on your screen. So this is Lucas Pulley. Lucas is the executive director of the Underground Network. So this is an experimental community made up of over 100 microchurches in the Tampa Bay area. But they also serve dozens of decentralized networks across the country and even globally. We are one of those here in Kansas City. So grateful for our friendship. Uh, so, Lucas, you've got years of experience planting microchurches, leading in these de decentralized networks. But you're not just a thought leader. I know you're a practitioner as well. You guys have a microchurch that you lead with your wife and your son. So uh, that's that's the quick overview. What else would you add in the way of introductions? Uh, yeah, I'm. I did c uh, uh, do the black shirt on black background, so I am floating head mode right now. And uh, you know, I I have been in Tampa for six years, and actually, both my family and my wife's family are up in Illinois in the Midwest, and we spent. 
about a decade uh, outside of St. Louis, uh, planting and developing and leading a network of microchurches up there in a small in a college town. Um, and that's how I kind of stumbled my way into the underground uh, way back in 2010. And um, and it's been a it's been a uh, uh, the joy of my life uh, to be among and serve and come alongside missionaries here in Tampa, serve uh, and multiply missionaries here in Tampa and around the world. So. So, hey, before we get into it, very important question. Who are you pulling for in the Super Bowl? Really good question. So both both of my teams are out. So, you know, <laughs> in, in in Tampa, I'm a Bucks fan, but I'm also from Chicago area. So I'm a Bears fan. Yeah, I'm from Chicago, my, both, bro. Yeah. So both my teams are out. Um, yeah, so we've been once, out a long time. We've been out a while. We've been out a while. <laughs> we're, we're probably going to be out a while. So and and now we lost Tampa Brady lost uh, uh, Sir Tom. So we're going to be out a while, too. So both my teams <laughs> going to struggle when my teams are out. I really just root for the best story. Uh, so I think the I think the Super Bowl of the year this year, in my opinion, I think the best story is the Bengals. Um, oh, long time underdogs. I think the, the LSU connection with Joe Burrow and, and, um, and chase, I just think that'd be a really awesome for them to win. Um, and, I, I spent a decade outside of St. Louis and the Rams did St. Louis dirty, man. So <laughs> I just think, get out of here, man. <laughs> hey, hey. Lucas, uh, you, you mentioned that you've got this, um, you know, years of experience up there just outside of St. Louis. So there's like a whole other story um, of micro churches in that world. And then now you're in Tampa, a part of that network there, but you know, those are like the organizational things. Tell sure. us about like your family, like just what's it been like in that world for you guys and extended spiritual family and what you all love together. Yeah. I, you know, I've got, so I've uh, been married 10 years, a little over 10 years and um, I've got two boys, uh, uh, Landon and Jackson. And my wife is, my wife is pregnant. We've got a girl on the way this summer. Hey. Um, oh, dude, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to be in girl dad life pretty soon. And, um, I just think this is all, this is all we've ever known. My wife and I, um, uh, the moment I came to faith in college, microchurches is all I've ever actually experienced. It's all I've ever known. And so it, it's not like we, we, um, deconstructed or disentangled or struggled or, or, or I, I didn't necessarily come in with, with any kind of like preexisting conditioning or, or anything like that. It's all we've ever known. And it, so, but also I can't imagine any other way. It's weird to say that because um, there's a lot of other ways that some people have experienced and I haven't, but um, walking in like life on life, intentional community, interdependent life with like an extended family of believers, like mm -hmm. my kids are raised by a village mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. So my kids have like uncles and aunts and mm -hmm. uh, like on every city block and they're like, I think, and I think they're better for it actually. Mm -hmm. Like they, their life, um, they're very re like remarkably mature and developed for their age. Um, and I just think they, so I think that their life has benefited from it. And I think we, I just don't know how else we would live. I really don't. Um, you know, just the, the being in a web of relationships like that and that web of relationships being comprehensively and ubiquitously committed to mission mm -hmm. where any, like literally any time, any drive, any dinner, any lunch, any coffee, any walk around the block, 
something about the kingdom could just come up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, or something, or you just know that everybody's kind of like bleeding for the kingdom at all times together. Mm-hmm. And you just never know, like when you're going to like speak into each other's life, mm-hmm. somebody's going to have a need and you know where it's going to be met or you can meet it. You have a need and you just like mention it. And you, and I just, I yeah. don't know how else we, it's so full of God. It's so everything. It's just so like pregnant with the Lord. So, yeah. You know, um, I was, when you were talking, I was just thinking about how, you know, that gospel presence, how it incrementally grows. Like we start living these missionary rhythms and it starts to fill a network of relationships and then it becomes this incredible gospel witness, you know, where we, Michelle made these little Christmas ornaments for all of our neighbors. You know, we delivered them and our new neighbors across the street who've been here six months, you know, um, they said, man, we feel like we hit the lottery. (laughs) We're moving into this neighborhood. It's like, this is huge family and everybody knows each other and meets each other's needs and are in each other's lives, you know, and they know it's because of Jesus. You know, they've been around long enough. They've come to enough dinners and fires, you know, and you think, man, if that got multiplied into every network of relationships, totally. in every neighborhood, it's like that would actually change yeah. the culture, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's so rich. And, and just to fill in some of the gaps of my own, like my own microchurch experience, like you said, not the organizational stuff. We can talk about that some other day, but just like my current f- version of, of microchurch life with my family, we live in Tampa, there is a right outside the, the of downtown in the inner city. There's a 900 unit Section 8 housing village, uh, all government subsidized housing that's called Belmont Heights Estates, and um, it's the projects. I mean, it's the largest government housing like acreage and um, saturation across Tampa. My wife and I live right in the middle of it, so it it goes in like a C, and then there's like a little neighborhood right in the middle of it. We've lived there for about six years. And, um, and so my wife and I live in our house and we've had people in and our, living in and our, out of our house for a while. We built a tiny house in the backyard that functions as like 30 day stay emergency housing. Um, and then two doors down from us is another underground family, Tommy and Bree Wilkerson, who you, you might, you might hear from at some point, but um, they, they and their daughter live two doors down from us. We kind of function as an intentional community, like with each other every day, like see dinners, see each other all the time. Then on the opposite side, around the corner, sharing our fence line is another intentional community of two couples and a single woman that all live together in intentional community, like co-living. Um, and they're an intentional community. Like they get to, they do life on life, shared life, all this kind of stuff. And together, those two intentional communities are the village. Like we have like a little bit of a village life. Um, so they they've got their own rhythms. We, we all the guys get together once a, once a, one morning a week to do like accountability, uh, like full vulnerability, honesty, pry into each other a little bit. All the women get together at, uh, on the porch on a different time. So we have those kind of rhythms built in. We do dinners, but then Sunday morning <clears throat> we do like an open brunch discovery Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, in one, in one of the houses. And that's where it's like, if you guys use the language, so Dalek, Modalic. So we, we've got, we've got dinners that are Modalic space or spaces for belonging and accountability and, and like deep, deep life discipleship. And then we've got so Dalek spaces that are spaces for mission and risk and experimentation and like wide open table. 
Um, so that Sunday morning discovery Bible study is where we invite like where everybody that's in the community is embedding themselves in pre-existing communities as missionaries, trying to find people of peace mm-hmm. and then trying to plant themselves. That's the place where when people are like opening up and they want, they want more, they're curious. We just bring them all to the same spot. Mm-hmm. So we've got, um, there's, there's a couple, there's the, uh, the couple two doors down from us, Tommy and Bree, they're CrossFitters, CrossFitters, by the way. <laughs> it's a cult, man. It's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> so they, but they feel they feel very called to their crossfit gym they do very intentional ministry in that crossfit gym you mean brainwashing <laughs> so they're they're trying to find people of peace they're trying to find people who are spiritually open uh there's another couple that lives around the corner they do board game nights every other friday night and we all kind of help them sometimes throw the board game nights because they're embedded in the board gaming community mm-hmm. and guys that's a that's a community there is a it's hardcore. It's yeah. a community, man. Like it's they're not playing, community. they're not playing Monopoly Scrabble <laughs> or something. They're playing like throne rooms and dungeons world. And you know, it's like I don't know what these yeah, things are. Yeah, I was gonna say you clearly don't know at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Dude, that's not it. That's not it. I butchered it. Not your so people. That's not my people group. That's not my people group. Um like, and then there's like, another that couple called it dungeon. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> There's, so then there's another couple that's doing college ministry at the University of South Florida. Um, and then my wife and I particularly do neighborhood ministry. We've been in that neighborhood the longest. We moved there on purpose. And the way that we do neighborhood ministry is um, uh, my, my wife uh, interacts with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the wives and um, tries to come alongside anybody who's raising kids. And she's stay at home. She's doing, she's doing homeschooling and stuff. So she's around a lot more. And then I run a, I run a handyman business for the neighborhood. So um, water breaks, electrical stuff, floors, whatever. And the whole neighborhood knows that if you sit with me while I do the job and we swap stories, I don't charge you anything. So, um, so we, that's how I get in the door. Like I get into people's houses and I just sit and spend hours talking to them. You know, we're the only white family in a four block radius. So it, the, the, the time to build trust is really, really long. And the way to accelerate, we just have discovered the way to accelerate that is to, um, to, to create some of that mechanism to like be able mm-hmm. to serve and swap stories and that kind of thing. So it's really weird. Like the, Disco- the Sunday morning discovery Bible study, we, we just said it's like open table. Yeah. You just look at a story from the life of Jesus. It's really simple. There's brunch. The kids are running around in the backyard. People are like watching the kids. And you might have a couple CrossFitters whose biceps are as big as my thighs. And then you've got a couple of board gamers and then you've got like folks from the neighborhood. And then you've got two or three college students from the university of South Florida. Um, And it's just been a lot. It's just been a lot of fun. But as you guys know, like the, the hope is that as people are planning themselves as missionaries in these communities, that as you plant the gospel, that in, in God's good and perfect will, and in his power and sovereignty that a church might emerge um, among that people group. Yeah. And they might see so much kind of kingdom traction spin up that they don't actually have to keep coming to our Sunday morning discovery Bible study thing. They can actually be the church over there where they are. Um, And we've had examples of that happen in the past. Um, Yeah. That's just how it looks right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Just because we're friends and together and we're part of the network and we know some of your language. I hear you describing for your own, if I can, and you can correct me on this, yeah. more of what you would call a distributed model microchurch, yes. where it's like, 
we've got a gathering of these missionary people who, you know, they have their specific calling, but then there's this um, place of family and joy where we get to celebrate together. Uh, so that's a beautiful story. I love hearing it. Yeah. You also have what you call specific model micro churches. Correct. Can you like flesh one out in the same way you did for your own? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So specific model micro churches are micro churches that are gathered not around accountability to missional life itself or a certain amount of shared values or commitments or rhythms together, but they actually convene around a sh- shared calling to a specific group of people. So um, cr- created as a microchurch that's doing direct, they're being the church for women coming out of the sex industry in Tampa Bay. They're doing direct ministry to women in the sex industry. They're trying to f- create pathways for those women to, to get out of the sex industry and be in community with one another and be like a real demonstration of the church in that community. Um, uh, you know, I, yesterday, I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. I know you got a lot more questions, but yesterday I was, um, in a Starbucks trying to hide so I could get emails done. (laughs) And across the glass, I was sitting in the Starbucks and across the glass, this guy pulls up in his bike and a guy runs up to him while he's trying to lock up his bike, decks him and steals his bike Mm. and starts running and starts running his bike down the road. This guy gets up and starts trying to chase this guy like through Fowler Avenue traffic, which is like our super busy street. He launches this glass bottle at him and and actually hits the guy. The mm. bottle falls and like shatters on the ground. And the guy runs through the glass barefoot because he, his sandals flipped off when he when he was chasing him. So he's, his feet are bleeding. The guy gets away. He just lost his bike and he just comes like sulking back to Starbucks. And I just come outside and I'm like, bro, are you okay? I just saw that whole thing happen. I'm so like, if I would have had a quicker reaction, I'm actually wearing shoes and I might've been able to catch him. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he, he's like, he's like, that was my only way of transportation. I don't know how I'm going to get to work now. I was just trying to like grab a coffee real quick. I just woke up. I work nights and he was just like super distraught. So I was like, all right, man, just get in my truck right now. I know, I know some guys who can help you. I put him in my truck and I take him around the corner to a business called Well-Built Bikes. And you guys know that's that there's a microchurch in the network called Well-Built Bikes that um, is a, a microchurch that's embedded among and reaching the biking community in North Tampa. They do these community bike rides on Tuesday nights. They create this like little mechanic shop for people to come together and work on bikes together. They're trying to create jobs and employment for people who are otherwise unemployable. They're trying to create build-a-bike programs for, for people to be able to get transportation. So I bring this guy over to Wellbit Bikes and I'm like, hey, let's get you a bike, man. And he's like, are you sure? Oh my gosh, I barely met you five seconds ago. And I'm like, let's just get you a bike. It's no problem. And the guys at Wellbuilt Bikes start to realize what I'm doing. And they're like, yeah, let's get you. Like they get him a custom bike for his size. They're like, we're going to throw in a padlock and a chain and like six months of free repair. And he's like, what is this? What is happening? And, I'm, and we're like, bro, it's all good, man. Like we're, we're here to take care of you. We're walking out of there. And he's like, he's like, man, why are you doing this? Like, why did you, you were working. I saw you were working. And I was like, man, I've followed, I followed Jesus. 
And I feel like there's this story about the good Samaritan and like, he just happened to notice somebody that was in need. He just stops what he's doing and he just wants to help. And I just want to be able to stop and help you. Maybe we can turn this into like a good day for you. Not a terrible day. (laughs) He's like, he's like, man, this is amazing. And he's like, what's this bike shop? Who are these bike people? And I'm like, man, those people are, they're trying to follow Jesus. They're they're like, they're, they're, that's why they're like giving you the stuff. They notice you're in a hard time. They're like, just trying to represent God's love to you. And he's like, who are these people? So then we we're walking to my truck, his feet are bleeding eating terribly. Mm. And I'm like, bro, should we do something about those feet? And he's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, we have a free medical clinic around the corner, uh, which is a micro church in the underground. So we take him over to the free medical clinic and uh, they, we kind of get him bandaged up. And he's like, what is this place? Who are these people? And I'm like, yeah, bro, they're just trying to follow Jesus. Just, <laughs> they just want to help you. They just want to like demonstrate God's love to you. He's like, what is going on? So then I'm like, hey, you can't actually ride your bike. Your feet are all bandaged up. Just put the bike in the back of my truck. I'll take you home. So he's, he, he's like trying to point out how to get home. We get to this, this apartment complex. We're pulling into the apartment complex and I'm like, I know this place, man. Why do I know this place? Mm. And there's this couple that last year in the middle of the pandemic, they, they like heard from the Lord that they, they were mm. in California and they heard from the Lord that they were supposed to just pick up and move to Tampa and move and like, just like plant little microchurch communities and apartments. And they landed in this apartment complex. And wow. when I'm when I'm driving this guy to the apartment complex, he just starts like opening up about how he's been married one year. His wife, he and his wife are already separated, like nine months into being married. He's uh-huh. living by himself. His wife went back to live with her parents. He's depressed. He's trying to like put his life back together. He doesn't have any friends. So we like pull up to this place and I was like, do you want some friends like in your apartment complex? Like, do you- <laughs> yeah. like I'd be open to that. So I take him over to this couple. We, and I knock on the door. It's a, a little bit after five and they're making dinner. And I'm like, Hey, I just wanted you guys to meet each other. This is a guy that lives in your apartment complex. Hey, this is this couple. And they're like, why don't you just stay for dinner? And he's like, who are these people? And I'm, and I'm like, Oh, they're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying, <laughs> they're trying to I yes. think that's, that's like the, the specific mission. It's, it's, it's sort of like the every single one of those is like a specific mission model microchurch. This couple is trying to reach this apartment complex. The well-built bikes community is trying to reach bikers. The uh, underground clinic is trying to reach people who have very limited or inconsistent health care or health coverage. Um, and what it does is when you create this like citywide ecosystem of all like this right. such a diverse range of those things, right? it surrounds people with expressions of the church that they don't even know are there. Mm. And, and it's almost like their life, the moment that their life is in crisis, like they just start to like run into these churches mm-hmm. and these people. Whereas historically, maybe the last 20 or 30 years, the, the church has been stripped out of the domains of society and made its own silo over on the side. Mm. And you have to go to the church and the church has to like bring you to it. These like this network of microchurches and specific model microchurches is what subversively embeds the church um, in every domain of society. It de-silos the church and embeds it back into the fabric of people's lives where they're interacting with these Jesus-centered, extended spiritual family committed to the mission of God communities all the time. Um, It's just little moments like that on trying to get an email done on a Friday afternoon that I'm like, man... (laughs) This you is know, the fu- this is the future, man. Like this, this, yeah, this yeah. guy, this, the, just this guy's reaction. Yeah, one after the other. Yeah, like, who are these people? <laughs> no, it literally is. It's signs and wonders. Is yes, yes. It's, it's Acts two being 
realized Joel totally. too realized, totally. you know, a couple of other observations too, man. One is um, it puts the genius of Jesus on display. Yes. Because Jesus is giving his people assignments. Yeah. He's giving them a, a masterpiece mission that has their name on it. So they're embracing the primary purpose of like, we're going to make disciples yeah. wherever we're at. But then there's also this very personal calling, like, Hey, I've got this thing with bikes and it, mm-hmm. and it's sacred and it's actually from heaven. And I have this thing with uh, ability to provide uh, resources for those who are under-resourced with healthcare, you know, and, yeah. and then as God's people get activated into those masterpiece missions, it, it, it does cause the fullness of Jesus to start growing. And that, that was yes. so amazing to see no, totally. the thing as church leaders, we don't have to organize that. Yeah. yeah. Like it's yeah. so exhausting in the organized expression of church, which I spent most of my adult life serving in and I celebrate what God's doing in and through it. But that model where it's like, there's a few trying to come up with programmatic sure. solutions for it's like, oh, we're strangling. Yeah. We're inadvertently domesticating God's people and strangling yeah. what the spirit wants to do. And it's just so beautiful to yeah. see, see it unleashed. The second thing, and this is going to lead to the next question. Um, a lot of times when people are exploring microchurch, there's sort of an obsession early on, like, what do you do in the meetings? Yeah. What, what, what it, so what do you do though? Like what, it, and I understand that because we're coming from a framework where church is about a gathering and an event. And, um, and we always tell folks, like, if you want to understand the life of the microchurch, you'd have to come and live with us for probably at least two weeks. Like, yeah. because do we have meetings? Oh yeah. More than it's kind of hard to actually count them. Cause yeah. you count when we hang out for 30 minutes at the mailbox. And then do you count when you know, yeah. we were over at our friend's house working on a project together? Do you get, I mean, they're not technically meetings, but we're meeting all the time. Yeah. So I want to get into, uh, you know, but we're intentional. Like you, you yeah. are intentional about the table and having That's right. uh, meetings that yeah. are um, built around hospitality to the stranger mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. built around the Lordship of Jesus and the scriptures. Um, but before we get into the whole meeting thing, um, today's topic is what is a microchurch? You've painted yeah. a very beautiful picture sure. of what it looks like, that life together as an extended spiritual family on mission. Um, so I want to ask you to sort of break down, um, you know, when, you know, like I said, in the introduction, th- there's groups that serve together. There's groups that study the Bible together. There's, there's yeah. groups that meet for community and support and accountability Yeah. Um, for the Tampa underground. Yeah. When is it that you look at a group of people and you go, that's church. Yeah. So I think what it's is, when they, what is your definition of a microchurch. I think the the definition of a microchurch for us is a really tiny building with a tiny steeple. <laughs> Thank you. I've been, I've been trying to get that out there and I'm so glad that it's being adopted. <laughs> when My you said that earlier, reference to Zoolander for anybody who wants to know. No, it wasn't from Zoolander because when you said it earlier, no, internally, it's, internally, it's, all I thought is, is that a church for ants? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened as you landed. Just remember. It. <laughs> no, so what we would we would think the what you said earlier, your language was irreducible minimum. You know, we would we would say what the ecclesial minimum, the irreducible minimum of what it mean to, means to be a church is worship, community, and mission. And what we mean by that to clarify those terms because people people mean different things by those terms by 
by worship, we mean like sent Romans 12 worship, not banging on a guitar or something like that, where it's like Romans 12 living sacrifice. Your whole life is surrendered to the leadership and lordship and reign of Jesus and, and a desire to extend that reign in the world. Yeah. Um, and that worship being true in an, in a community, not, not that meets once a week, but is an extent, a spiritual family, life on life, interdependent, and is pursuing some piece of the mission of God in the world together, that being to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God among the lost and the poor. Um, so that, that I would say, I would say that's like a new Testament imagination for the church. It, you know, in the new Testament, when people would have talked about church planting or church leadership, what would they have thought of? They would not have thought of concert venues, $300,000 budgets, 60 person staff teams. They would have thought of uh, Acts 16, you know, the, the start of the Philippians, the Philippian church, Paul and Barnabas land at Macedonia. They find Lydia, dealer in purple. She converts. They find a teenager that's possessed by a demon, deliver her. They get put in jail because of that. They the, the jailer's family gets converted from the jail. And at the end of Acts 16, you've got a jailer and his family and a 13-year-old girl that was uh, demonic the day before and Lydia in a living room, in Lydia's living room. And they're like, all right, we'll see you guys later. This seems good. <laughs> So that's like, that's like a new Testament imagination of the church. You yeah. know, there's no, there's no buildings, budgets, programs. It, the tricky part here, there, he has not even yet installed elders, right? There's, there's not like a clarified leadership pipeline or something like that, but this thing is the church. And so we would say when those things collide, worship, community, mission, that's when it, and, and everything else, the, the sacraments and, and, communal Bible study and preaching and uh, uh, um, even buildings and budgets and programs. These things are good. They're desired. They're healthy. Even sometimes they're just not required to be the church and should not be added uh, uh, to the burden of early church planters. So um, now, you know, when does, when does somebody actually in our ecosystem in Tampa underground, maybe cross that threshold? There are, there's plenty of th people who come to us with a ministry idea that they feel called to. And they come and they say like, I want to get this off the ground. I want to start it. It's a microchurch. And we look at it and we say, no. we don't say yes to everything. You know, there are certain things that we say no to. Typically it's because it's in breach of one of those three ecclesial minimums. There's, there's people who have like an independent ministry. Like I'm, I'm personally called to do this and it's surrendered to Jesus and I'm on mission, but they have no desire to do it in a, in community as a team or to, or to build community where they're going. It's just like independent, like an independent missionary or something itinerant ministry. Um, and we would say, Hey, that's actually might even be good and healthy and right. It's just not a micro church. It's not what we do. There's people who do um, community and mission, but they become for one reason or another, very hesitant to make it Jesus centered. Um, it, it, the leaders might themselves be like Jesus centered, but they don't actually want to make the community or the enterprise Jesus centered. Sometimes it has to do with access to grant funding. Sometimes it has to do with right. concerns about uh, public witness or something like that. And we're always like, Hey, that again, that might actually be half, half decent of a decision or idea. You're the missionary. You yeah. get to make those kinds of decisions. You get to contextualize, but for us, that's not actually an, uh, a microchurch because it's not explicitly centered on the name and presence and power of Jesus. And then there's people who do worship and community. This is the most common is people who do worship and community, but it's, it's like a prayer meetings all over the city, or it's like, we're trying to help Christians understand how to think or feel about certain political issues or training or something like that. 
So it's, it's targeted at Christians and it's for the purpose of maybe community or belonging or worship or prayer or something like that. And it's like, God, that, that still might even be good to do. It might even be an asset to the city. You might actually be called to do it. And if you are, you should, but it, there's no clear explicit aim to be, to be for and to, and among the lost and the poor in the city. Um, And so it's, so we would say, that's another one that we would say no to. Now, when those th- those three things collide, we'd call that a microchurch. Just to clarify, one quick point: there are microchurch planners that like intend and aspire to develop something that is a microchurch. It's their plan; they want to run that road, but they have not developed something that yet has the ecclesial minimum. Mm-hmm. They don't yet have a full community. They don't yet have you know like it's it's in its infant stages, will still greenlight them as a microchurch leader mm-hmm. um, because we want to honor the apostolic impulse. Yeah. And a lot of times what it takes to get people from point A to point B is the wraparound services and the permission and the community yeah. that we provide. And so we don't want to prevent them from getting all that. Um, and, uh, you know, we always use the analogy of like a human being, like j- just like, at what point do you call a human a human? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when when they've reached some kind of level of intellectual maturity, or they've developed certain motor skills, or something like that, or they've developed a certain amount of like heartbeat or organs, or something like that. Like, when do you call a human a human? And there's like much less developed forms of a human that we would state, no, that's still a human being. And yeah. so for us, that's that's kind of the posture we've taken is to is to people who aspire to have a microchurch, but it's not fully formed yet we'll still call them a microchurch planter and leader. Mm-hmm. It's not all that dissimilar from the church planting world, like people who right. are just making mailers and like pu- pu- like putting mailers all over like a zip code or something like that. They haven't met a single person or gathered once, but they're still referring to that thing as a church. Right. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like, it, it kind of makes clear what the target is. It makes right. clear what the goal is. It keeps them from settling for something less than the church, you know? Um so that's been our our posture. That has pros and cons, uh, but that's been our posture. Yeah, we learned early on your you know those three spheres of worship, community, mission that informed so much of who we were becoming early on in our story and our network here in Kansas city. And we would encourage people go, go to Tampa's website and explore all of these micro churches and let your missional imagination just run wild. Like what might Jesus be uh, sparking in your spirit as we were trying to stir that up here. And I remember one day just to kind of give our definition uh, of what's behind that is Uh, Rob and I were sitting in a room just kind of wrestling it out. And it was like, if we had to put language on this, because this this is the thing everybody's asking, what is a microchurch? What is it? Yeah. What is it that you're wanting me to aim for? And we're like, let's put some language to this. And it was really more, what do we see? Sure. Not like, what do we want, but what do we see? And we went the same route you did as like early on in the New Testament. What do you see? Well, you see families. Yeah. What is a microchurch? And our very simple definition was, an extended spiritual family. And we just go, always go period. Yeah. (laughs) I like, we've got more there. Like to start on that one piece is like, let's put the period, because if you can run everything through that framework of family, you'll be like, I know we don't all come from healthy families by any means, but you at least have a framework for 
we can begin to coach towards healthy families that exist in all of these spheres of society. Now we fleshed that out a little further to say, what else were we seeing? They were all led by ordinary people. So there's no paid staff. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all seeking to live in gospel community. So we say they mourn together, they celebrate together, but mostly they just do the mundane in between together. Yeah. Yep. And then finally they own the mission of Jesus in a network. And the mission is multiplied disciples. Now there's a ton of missional activity that flows out of that. That's always going to look unique based on the people to whom they've been sent. But that family metaphor that just kind of sits at the top is it's run everything through that and talk about healthy rhythms of family, which we always come back to and say, you know, what we coach around is going to be worship community mission, healthy families have healthy rhythms. Yeah. What are your healthy rhythms around moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in yeah. every area of life? Yeah. How are you opening your table? Yeah. So uh, I just thought th- that's our little short definition that always gets fleshed out, but you're about to I've, I've always, I've always really loved how you guys talk about that too. And just, and just really briefly why I do think a whole bunch of what Paul is doing in the new Testament is actually just contextualization. He's not, He's not laying out like transcendent principles for all times and all places. He's actually determining how, what, what does it mean for the church to be an effective witness of the gospel in this place among these people? And when Tampa underground first like formed and was started, I do think we were in such a, and we still are, it's not that that's over, but we were in such a higher environment of, of churches being so overrun by consumerism and, Mm -hmm. and, attractional in a way that was really trying to cultivate spectators and, and keep spectators. And so uh, the edge of our community has always been mission because of that. We're like driving that because it's like, what does it mean to be the church to our generation and our city right now? Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for, for like 2007, fast forward to 2020, 21, 22, I think there's something to be said, it, not even pre-COVID, but COVID has just made it so much worse that actually people are very motivated right now to like give their life to a cause. People mm-hmm. very motivated right now to have like give their life to purpose and injustice and all that kind of, they're like Christian or non-Christian churches are not churches. They're trying to be missional. They're trying to live on mission. But isolation and loneliness is completely rampant. Like pe- people literally have no idea how to live in intentional community with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they find it, it satisfies so many aches of yeah. the soul that they don't know they have. Amen. And so I do think it's like actually a really important contextual piece that you guys have discerned. Like if we're going to focus on something, we're going to focus on this. And that actually sounds really right to me. Like that, 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 what does it mean to be the church to our generation right now in this city at this time? You know, I, I do on that theme, Lucas, I'm curious, I, I'm, why do you think this conversation about returning to this more primal ecclesiology, um, why is it so important at this particular moment in time? I know this is your calling. It's your life passion. Yeah. But um, think about the body of Christ, the church in America. Yeah. Um, why is this so important right now? Yeah, I mean, I um, the these statistics at this point are old. The, these were these were I think Hirsch and Dave Ferguson worked on this back in two thousand eight, two thousand ten, when they wrote the book On the Verge, mm-hmm. and they talked about how 
the most recent statistics you could find were describing empirically evidence-based that no more than 40% of the American population would even consider in their lifetime crossing the threshold of a church. And if you looked at generationally, it was, it was a higher percentage for 40, 50 plus folks, lower percentage for 30 plus and tanking for 15, 20, 20 year olds. And the average out was like 40%. And those percentages have only been decreasing the last 10 years. They've only been decreasing across the board. And so I, I just, and it doesn't matter that. So, so this is why I'm actually cautious not to bash or like tear apart mm-hmm. the prevailing model of church because that model of church is still reaching mm-hmm. 25, 30, 35% of the population. It, it shouldn't go away. It's, it's actually effectively reaching a, a portion of the population that microchurches might not. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, um, our imagination for church planning has been so locked into that mechanism that nobody is dreaming or thinking or innovating about the other 65, 70% of the population. Nobody's giving their lives to the people who are not mm-hmm. ever going to come across the threshold of your church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a $10 million building and you bring Lecrae and Louis Giggs to show up <laughs> thing, you know, they're not coming. They're not coming. So we have to, we, I think it's for, for the sake of the future of the church in the West and around the world. I, I think we have, and, and actually the West is behind on this because gl- globally, if you, like you guys mentioned at the front end of the podcast, I mean, um, this is not new to the church in, in China. This is not new to churches in, in the in the 1040 window. This is not new for, for churches in the global south. Um, it, it's it how do we how do we rekindle an imagination for being the church among people instead of trying to extract them from mm. their culture, from their context, from their environment, and pull them, de-silo them over into some other space. Um, so I think that's one. I think for the sake of the future witness of the church, and I think for the for the for the sake of movement and the virality of the message message of the gospel, I think it's I think it's pivotal. And the other piece is Rob, what you were talking about, you know, ten or fifteen minutes ago. I just think there are so many followers of Jesus that God has so much more for. Yes, yes, and. Yeah. It's, it's both for, like, if they can wake up to that, it's both for the sake of the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for the sake of the communities that God has like wired and shaped and made and is like, and inviting them to engage with. It's both for the sake of the world, but it's for their sake too. It's for the sake of their own yeah. soul and future and life and vitality um, and their experience of God and, and walking with him, sharing in his sufferings, you know, uh, uh, persevering with him, depending on, it's, it's just so many like themes in the new Testament yeah. like lines in the new Testament that are just kind of two dimensional mm-hmm. b- before you give yourself over to this kind of a life. And then yes. when you're in this kind of a life, they just explode in your mm-hmm. heart. Amen. Cause you actually have to close your fist around them. You actually have to like have faith in so many, so much of the new Testament because you're like, Oh, I'm living this now, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm at, I'm, so I think it's both for the sake of the world and for the sake of the church. I think it's, it, you know, it's for the sake of discipleship. It's for the sake of, and, and every evil, every evil in every city across the country that mm-hmm. is winning, that is winning the day. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. the opioid addiction, the opioid epidemic, human trafficking on the rise. I mean, the housing crisis that we're that we're kind of in the middle of right now. I think these things are these the the all of these societal evils are the business of the church. They yeah. they are not for the church to kind of like give up and toss to the side and say leave that to the experts. No, it is the business of the church. That's right. And I think these these evils can be disentangled. They can be walked back if we throw our bodies in the spokes of the wheel. Mm-hmm. And there are just too many wheels in these cities that are just running free. Um, and 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 I just think that the priesthood of all believers can wake up, amen. Arise, O sleeper, you know, just wake up. Yeah, I just think we would see we'd see so much victory. Yeah, know? we we uh, often refer to the analogy. We see Kansas City like this aquarium tank, and it's intended to be filled with the fullness of Jesus. And but we're His body that manifests yeah. that fullness. So like every time another person is activated mm-hmm. into mission, yes, into the unique mission God's called them to, it's like the fullness level goes up and all these societal evils, the Lord is already preparing and equipped people to, to be the answer, to be his body, his hands and his feet. But we've inadvertently created these systems that have become normative in most churches that really just the end game is something like, I invite people to come with me to something. Sure. I'm a volunteer for X yeah. amount of hours and something. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, uh, you know, we've learned so much from you all and we're uh, building on the foundation you laid. Give people just a, a quick snapshot, an overview of what does it look like to create a service platform, an environment of equipping that really unlocks for people their missional potential their true calling, the the fullness of their identity in Christ. Uh, What does that look like for the Tampa underground? Yeah. So I'm, it's, it's really built out now, but in the early days, like just getting it off the ground, all that service platform was, was two or three people in the network of relationships that had this thing called spiritual authority Hmm. and running around, giving every minute they had sitting across tables sit over coffee, over lunches, walking with people and looking them in the eyes and giving them permission to be the church. And, and then giving, and then trying to hear out every excuse (laughs) to not be, to not be the church. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the first step is. Well, then let's do some coaching. Let's do some phase planning. Let's break down the five-year dream into what do you need to do in a year to get there? What do you need to do in a month to get there? What do you need to do this week to get there? and break it down in these really manageable things, accountability on those like really manageable tasks. Um, and then other people being like, I got a dream. I know exactly how to do it, but I don't have, uh, uh, I, I don't have a way to accept donations. I don't have a, I don't have a nonprofit. I don't have, uh, you know, whatever they need. I don't, I don't have like a, the media services that I need to create the publicity or to create the website or something like that. And at the, at the very beginning stages, it was just like apostolic leaders like with spiritual authority saying, whatever barriers you have, I'm either going to convince you that it's not a barrier yeah. or we're going to remove the barrier. It's one <laughs> or the other. Yeah. And just like, re- like giving so much time to, it's really like coaching. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a, ma- it's coaching and accountability 
and then doing everything we could to serve people. Now, the way that that's built out over 10 or 15 years is now that now we have a media department and a finance department. We have like a big co-working facility with offices and spaces for people to use for, for events, for their ministries and a coaching department, a training department. But in the, in the early, like in the first three or four years, I'm not kidding. It's just like two or three people running around having meetings with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's just kind of like, what are your dreams? And the biggest thing, the biggest thing is trying to help, trying to, trying to help people. That was the Lord calling. I don't know if we <laughs> probably shouldn't ignore that. Um, so I, I think, I think one of the biggest things to the, the secret sauce of the whole thing, it's not even the coaching or whatever. Actually, I think Alan Roxburgh wrote this in a book like five or six years ago, missional. It had the word missional in it. Alan Roxburgh's great. But he, there was this one line in it where he said, what it would take for like a gospel movement to like explode across the country isn't more programs or innovative ideas or services or whatever. All it takes is for the people of God to listen to him. And calling is that like core, like core piece of the whole thing. Like pe- pe- it's us encouraging people to just listen to Jesus about their calling, about how he's wired them, how he's made them, who he's sending them to. It's not like he hasn't been saying it. It's like a category that we haven't been listening for. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like the Macedonia thing that Paul goes through. He's like, just trying to get, he's trying to go East. He's trying to go East. He's like locked in on going East. And it keeps saying the spirit of the Lord is preventing him. And it's like, so frustrating. I want to go East so bad. And it takes like literal supernatural intervention and a vision to be like Macedonia. And it's like this category that he just wasn't even listening to for. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a big piece of it. It's just like the, and uh, one of our attempts at helping with that, as an organization is through something like calling lab. It's just a, a way to gather people and, and try to, in an intentional way, listen to discern what calling is and how to wrestle with Jesus about it. But it doesn't require like this big program or something. It's like helping people discern what calling is hunger for it mm-hmm. and listen to Jesus, not by themselves, but in community and with mentorship to be able to affirm and confirm. And the moment that they've heard something to be able to say, you've got full permission. You've yeah. got full permission to run hundred, like a hundred miles an hour toward that calling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the, the, the cornerstone of the service platform is helping mm-hmm. people listen to Jesus. Because as, as Rob mentioned earlier in the call, like we don't actually lead it. We don't control it. We don't manage it. We're not deciding mm-hmm. what microchurches are started and which one and how they develop or anything. We're trusting Jesus to lead the church. Yeah. And we're just building out scaffolding to support and, and uphold what mm-hmm. God is doing in the city, not what we've decided he's doing in the city. Yeah. Um, hey, um, you know, one of the, sorry, yeah. Rob. One of the things that stands out to me is just that word permission. Yeah. It just keeps coming up over and over and over again in conversations that I'm having or that we're having here. And I, I think that, you know, somebody asked a question earlier just to hit this real quick since somebody posed it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how do you help people see the church as bigger than just Sunday sermon or a worship service? And I think it's just this constant culture of reinforming family and giving people permission yeah. to live into the fullness of who Jesus made them. It's like, it's, it's never an overnight thing. Even, yeah. even for our family, you know, like 20 years in predominant model 
churches working. It's like we've deconstructed a lot of that and we've done a lot of the personal work and we do that with our kids still. Uh, and there are still moments where it's like, wait, are we, are we gathering enough? And it's like, it's not a, yeah. <laughs> like you have to reinforce yeah. the culture, but it's that, that word permission, I just think is so important to reinforce and, and inform as you create a culture of permission for people to step into that and say, yeah. I believe in what Jesus is doing in your life. Not only do I believe in it, but I celebrate it and I'm going to walk with you. Yeah. And I think that that begins to create a new culture and break down those, you know, barriers that we create for ourselves. So, Hey, let me ask you, I'm feeling prompted. I really want to pray for a minute. Yeah, go ahead, man. I want to pray for that couple. Please don't let me interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. I thank you for um, this beautiful couple. I think that they've listened to your voice and they're obeying. Yeah. Uh, Which is what it means to be a disciple. Um, And I pray now in your name, Jesus, that those that they're, um, influencing. I pray for a breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Yeah. They would see the church from your eyes, Lord. Yeah. That you would awaken in them, Lord, an understanding, um, apocalypse them, Lord, unveil yeah. uh, yourself and your family to them in a way that shakes them to the core. And I pray for everyone right now who's watching this in the name of Jesus, you have permission. Amen. Yes. Go make disciples. Yes. Follow your calling. Yes, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they would know that the same spirit that raised you from the dead is fully active in them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for your power. Uh, I pray for signs and wonders and dreams and visions. Yeah. Um, And Lord, again, we give you this space. Um, You are our leader. Um, Take us wherever you want to go. I thank you so much for Lucas and the witness of the Tampa Underground God and what it's meant to my life and to so many others. We pray for your favor to continue to be upon them. Yep. Um, and Lord, we pray for um, every provision, like spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, uh, relational. Lord, we just pray you pour out on them, Jesus. Yes. And, uh, we thank you for this conversation today. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Hey, we got like three minutes left, Lucas. So real quick, if you had like top highlights on resources for people to look into for exploring the microchurch lane or exploring minimal ecclesiology, what are your top two or three? I mean, it's probably true for you guys too. Like people can just come and visit and hang out at Tampa. Like you can just double it as a vacation. Just come, come to, come to Florida. It's not bad. Uh, we're 30 minutes from Clearwater Beach. Just come and spend time with us. Or go to KC and because it's sort of like what what Rob was talking about earlier. Like you just kind of kind of sit in it for a few days. I mm-hmm. think that's the books. Books are certainly helpful. It can like stir thought leadership, but there's something about like being in it, con- the concrete piece of it. Um, uh, so don't hesitate to reach out to us e- yeah. or or KC Underground just to either visit or to just get on a zoom call or talk it out. Like we're super approachable and then just like, like little bite, bite-sized things. I think, um, I mean, obviously we're, we're biased, but, uh, uh Brian Sanders, great friend of, uh, of, uh, of ours and founder of the Tampa underground movement and still part of the movement has written a couple of, I think, treasures, um, yeah. underground church is a book and then microchurch's book. And then, um, 
you know, all of us in this world, it, yeah, it just never gets old. All of us in this world have read Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. I just think yeah. it's like such so formative for so so many of us can say, oh, that book broke me open. You know, right. um, that's what I would say. Hey, also, just so you all know, there will be an article that we'll publish this week. If you go to Exponential and search for the blog, that is uh, the title. What is Microchurch? So you can get that as well this week. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.